0: Welcome to episode four of season five of a year and a day. I'm your host, Jamie Davis. Addressing how to deal with the family business during a divorce is a fairly common issue, and for many business owners, the divorce process will involve critical decisions about the future of their company. If spouses cannot agree on the value of their business, an expert is usually brought in to perform a formal business valuation. Today we will be discussing issues related to valuing a family business in an uncertain economy with CPA and Certified Valuation Analyst, David Amos. David is a partner with Carr, Riggs & Ingram and is responsible for valuation and litigation services for attorneys, CPAs, and their clients. David has over 15 years of experience in public accounting, which includes business valuations, tax, accounting, and advisory services. David graduated from Valdosta State University with a degree in accounting and obtained a master's degree in accounting from Georgia Southern University. Welcome, David.
1: Hey, thank you, Jamie, for having me.
0: So let's jump right in. We have a lot of really good ground to cover today. How the valuation process work in a typical divorce case?
1: From from my perspective, the valuation expert, it, it typically goes uh, as follows. There's an introductory conversation, typically with the attorney, sometimes with the attorney and the and the spouse that's going through the divorce. And in that conversation, we'll discuss uh, the in, the engagement type. Uh, there are different types of valuations that we can do. Uh, so we, we we talk about you know where we're at in the in the process and the divorce process and discuss engagement type the standard of value which is which is pretty important the, the timeline when when it's needed uh, if there's mediation or trial or when a report is needed uh, we discuss fees and and various other things such as passive or active components that we may get into uh, later. from there uh, that'll drive the, the drafting of the, the engagement letter of the contract uh, typically to the attorney sometimes to the to the spouse. In a, in a list of documents that we'll need. It's not a conclusive list, but it's, it's most of the items that we'll need uh, to get started and make some progress on the valuation. From there, we, uh, using the, the historical information, we'll begin to enter it into our software. So the the analysis, the historical analysis uh, that we'll do, which will include looking at the the company, the industry, and the economic factors will provide a basis for questions that will then go to management, which will then allow us to understand and project where the company is going. From there, we'll finalize the value, which has several aspects to it. We'll draft a report, uh, discuss the report with, uh, with the attorney users or whomever, and then testimony if required.
0: Okay, so this sounds like it's a pretty comprehensive process. When you are preparing a valuation of a business in connection with a divorce case, what is the standard of value that you use?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and a very important question. So for North Carolina, the general statutes reference net value the the case law then helps us to understand what that is and the best way to explain standard of value in equal distribution context in North Carolina is to say it's a, it's hybrid there are components of fair market value and there are components of in investment value fair market value connotes it's it's the value uh, in the market if you will or perhaps we could refer to it as a value in exchange in which somebody is buying and selling an interest and so it's different than investment value investment value is the value to the person that's holding uh, the ownership interest and so perhaps a, a good example to to explain it and this it's, it happened in a family law context a person owned uh, an insurance agency and with this agency and the contract they had with the um, with, with the, the folks that were allowing them to sell the insurance they could not sell their company uh, they they, uh, they couldn't go on the open market and somebody buy that book of business from them if you will. And so that has value to the to the person that holds the interest at that time, uh, but it doesn't have any any value in the market. And so under the investment value, that company would be worth more than under the, the fair market value uh standard value. So does that does that help or make sense?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's great. That makes perfect sense. So how is fair market value determined? Is it just the company assets less its debts or are there other things that are taken into consideration?
1: Yeah, I think you you pretty much hit it uh, at least for the, the asset approach and and uh, but there are two other approaches that we use, the income and the market. So the asset approach is the fair market value, the assets less liabilities. This typically results in a in a floor value, if you will because the intangible intangible assets are not reflected uh, on the balance sheet. Uh, the income approach is, is one that we use uh, a lot. And, uh, and, and is relatively simple to understand using a mathematical formula. So uh, the value of a company through the income approach is, is uh, value equals benefits over return. And so what benefits can a company is a company capable of producing into the future uh, because we're not buying past results we're buying future uh, potential and so what benefits I.e cash flows or or net income is a company capable of producing in the future and with any benefit stream is going to come some level of risk and so what what rate of return does an investor require to make uh, to make that investment and so value equals the benefits uh, over or divided by a rate of return. And then the third approach is a a market approach. And so within the market approach, we review companies in a a similar industry that have sold and specifically the relationship between the sales price and the financial data for that company. So revenue, and so we'll we'll look at the sales price and divide it by uh, the revenue uh, to come up with a multiple and then apply to the subject company uh, that we're using.
0: In your experience, when you are valuing a business for a divorce case, which approach would you say is the most common?
1: The most common uh, is is the income approach. You know, the asset approach is typically only used if it's a, a holding company, uh, so family limited partnerships to hold land or, or 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 stocks and bonds. But for an operating company that's not asset intensive, like a trucking company, the income approach uh, uh, is is typically the best approach. The market approach is sometimes used as a sanity check. Um, the the valuator or the appraiser may end up waiting their their final conclusion of value on both income and market. But uh, the market, at the very least, can provide a sanity check that companies, similar companies, uh, are selling for for similar values that we determined through the income approach.
0: When you are valuing a company, do you ever discount the value for any reason?
1: Yeah, discounts can apply typically for uh, two two reasons or two different kinds of discounts. Discount for lack of control and discount for lack of marketability. The discount for lack of control is intended to reflect the reduction or the diminution of value associated with not with an ownership interest that doesn't control the business and operations, uh, the inability to determine the direction of the company, the day-to-day operations, when dividends or returns of of equity will be. Uh, paid out, uh, and and when the business will ultimately be sold and be able to recoup your final your investment, uh, we we typically apply a discount for lack of control there. The second discount is for marketability or liquidity, uh, and so the if you have a, a controlling interest in a in a private company in a small business, like we see in equity distribution context or uh, or minor, minority interest, there, there's not a there's not a ready market for that. If you owned a, a share of Apple stock, you could convert that share of Apple stock to cash in three days. If you wanted to sell an interest in XYZ small business uh, and you wanted to sell today, um, you're ready to sell today. When are you actually gonna, when's that sale gonna be consummated uh, and have the cash in hand? It, it At the very least, it's probably six to nine months out. And so that discount is intended to reflect uh, that diminution of value because you can't sell it right now and convert it to cash.
0: So that's really interesting. I would think there might be a little subjectivity here. How do you determine what discount rate should be applied?
1: For the discount for lack of control, uh, one of the things that we do is is we look at publicly traded companies. If you buy those stocks, that is a, that is a non-controlling marketable value. And uh, stick with me there. Uh, so you don't control it. But uh, but but it is marketable. And so when those when when shares in those companies uh, or when that company goes from being uh, controlled by a few people to a controlling interest, the premium that a person is willing to pay to go from a minority interest to a controlling interest, uh, the inversion of that. Can, can give us or tell us what the discount for control is. Discount for marketability, uh, sometimes we look at uh, restricted stock studies. And so when when restricted stock shares are, are issued, there's typically a, a requirement that you can't resell those in a certain period of time. And that change in value from the restricted stock shares to the unrestricted stock shares can be a good proxy for marketability discount.
0: So we've determined the discounts, we've looked at the financials, business valuation is going along. When you are valuing a business for equitable distribution, which for those listeners who don't know is the division of property between separated spouses, how do you decide what date you are valuing the company as of?
1: In North Carolina, we use the date of separation. So we're relying on 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 you Jamie to tell us what the data separation is and that's uh that's that's the date we do the valuation the the primary date there there are also two additional dates potentially that could be either after data separation or before data separation so that the after date separation valuation is a we call it date of trial or, or when the assets are or uh divided and so if there's a if there's a significant period of time between data separation and the data trial or division, and we think that their company's value may have changed, there, there could be a good reason to do evaluation to see what what the value is and, and how it's changed. Sometimes there's a need to do evaluation before uh, the data separation, and that could be if if the business started before the marriage, or if uh, there was gifts of interest to the spouse of the business interest before the data separation.
0: Okay. And just to clear up for anyone who may not know, in North Carolina, the date of separation is the date that spouses begin to live under separate roofs with the intent of at least one of them that the separation be permanent. Um, We don't have any requirement in North Carolina that something be filed or that a contract be signed to establish that date of separation. It is simply the day that the two folks start to live in separate houses. You touched on this briefly, about the value of the company potentially changing after the data separation um, but before the business is actually distributed to one of the parties, how do you handle that change in value?
1: Uh, that's a great question uh, and it's a it's a often a complex and difficult analysis. At, at a high level, we need to determine what is active and what is passive. And so the if the value changed, is it due to active factor factors of, of the spouse? Uh, or or passive factors uh so why did it grow or why why did it change and there are quantitative and qualitative factors that lead to the to the difference and ultimately our conclusion
0: can you give us some examples of what would be considered an active factor something that a spouse actively did to change the value of the business
1: I think being actively involved in, in management, their roles and responsibilities uh, and the comparison of, of their role versus third parties, uh, the, the business model, is there an ability to replace uh, the spouse product development? If they are actively changing the, the business model and adding new products, uh, how involved they are with the sales relationships that the customer base is there transferability of the value related to that spouse.
0: And you also mentioned that there could be passive factors. What are some examples of passive factors that might apply?
1: Yeah, I think the best example of that would be tax law changes. And so, with TCJA, the tax legislation was passed beginning in or applicable in, in 2018. Tax rates affect evaluation because we're 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 using and under the income approach, we're we're estimating the value of a company, and we take into consideration tax rates. So, as tax rates change with that legislation. Uh, that produced a change in the overall value of a company. And so uh, that's a passive change. Uh, Other changes could be uh, GDP growth, uh, consumer confidence, inflation, interest rates, customer spending, customer confidence, commodity prices, and things of that nature that are completely out of control of of the owner spouse.
0: And from a divorce standpoint, the reason that these factors are important And deciding whether they are active or whether they are passive is, you know, because how the the difference in value is going to be handled. So if the business was valued on the data separation and some passive factors cause that value to change before the data trial or the data distribution, we'll call it, then that change in value is distributable. Whereas if the change in value is the result of the active efforts of the business owner spouse, then that change in value is not going to necessarily be distributable and it's going to be distributed to the party at that data separation value. So you know, you make our jobs as divorce lawyers a lot easier by helping us determine what is active and what is passive, and what should be distributed to a spouse and what shouldn't.
1: Well, it's a it's a it's a fun exercise, and it gets particularly complicated. There's a case now going on where a spouse received gifts of, of stock in a, in a particular business three or four times between date of marriage and, and date of separation. So. Uh, In that case, you have to value the company at each each of those and do an active passive analysis from each of those to the data separation. So it's complicated, but uh, but enjoyable exercise.
0: I'm glad you find it enjoyable because (laughs) I certainly cannot handle that part of it. We've talked a lot about business valuation, how it works in the context of a divorce. Would you say that the uncertainty of the current economy has impacted business valuations in divorce cases?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely. Uh, the income approach likely is is, is, uh, is affected uh, more, uh, the market the market approach to a lesser degree. But if we go back to the the income approach and, and what I uh, the formula that I discussed, value equals the benefits of a company, future benefits of a company divided by or over the rate of return, you know, the benefits could be up or down. You know, COVID has positively affected some companies, uh, but a lot of companies, it's, it's negative. And in the period of the of the positive or negative or the up or down, it could be short, it could be certain, it could be long, or it could be uncertain. Trying to determine what that is, again, because we're, we're looking at what are the future benefits of a company, because we don't we don't make an investment in anything for what it's done in the past. Uh, that may contribute to what we think about what it is capable of in the future. It certainly made things more difficult. It, it also affects the rate of return and some of the continued inflation effects. Uh, it also has an effect on the on the valuation. So, on a different note, a lot of times evaluations are for smaller companies in equal distribution context, we will capitalize a value, and so we will look at the historical performance of a company and and see you know what's the best indicator of future performance, and we can. We can take the, the history of a company and capitalize it forward to get our value. But with some of the uncertainty and not knowing what's going to happen in the future with some of these companies, we have to do what's called a discounted cash flow analysis where we begin to project forward the earnings in, in the first year into the future and then the second year in the future and then the third, and then discount them back, which requires good projections from management.
0: When you are discounting the cash flow, how do you determine that? discount rate?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. The, the best way to ex- explain that is just a, a using what's a phrase called the buildup method. With, uh, with the capitalization rate, we, we typically build that up from the uh, element of lack of risk to, to most risk. And so we'll start with a risk-free rate. Uh, so w- what is a, a safe rate, a safe investment rate? And that may be a T-bill or uh, a bond, 20 or 30 years. And then we say, what's the additional risk that's required to invest in, in, a, in, a, in an equity, a large a large cap stock, a large equity, maybe five to six percent or or more. And so we, we add those elements together and then we go a step further and we say the additional risk or return that's required for an equity uh, I mentioned is for larger companies. Well, a lot of the companies that we're valuing in North Carolina for equitable distribution purposes are, are not nearly as large as a GE or an Apple or Tesla or, or whatever. And so there's an additional rate of return uh, that, that you, the investor, are gonna require for a smaller company. There There's inherent more risk in those companies. And so we, we also consider an additional risk premium for industries. If a normal uh, equity risk premium is, is X, but there's a particular industry that's more risky on the whole or less risky, we may add or subtract for there as well. And then the final component is the company specific risk. And so we'll look at and say, are there other elements or other factors of this company that, that, are, that are risky? And so some of those could be, is there a concentration in customers? Is there a lack of management? And things of that nature that uh, that add to the risk. So the, the build up method, so the risk-free rate, the equity risk premium and industry risk premium, and then the company specific premium. And once we add all those up, uh, that is our, our discount rate.
0: We talked about the uncertain economy impacting business valuations. Is there any way to mitigate that impact?
1: I can answer that question from two perspectives. So from the business perspective, it's reduce risk, reduce risk, reduce risk. I just talked about the company-specific risk premium. And so wherever you can, reduce risk. And so... Uh, if there's one customer that makes up 60% of revenue, we as much as possible need to try to diversify that. Same thing with with uh, with staffing and employees and, and build build a bench uh, and and train people and grow people. Improve the accounting function. Poor financial statements is is bad for a lot of reasons. There's inability to manage manage the business, which produces risk. Uh, when we go to do our valuation, it can it can produce problems. Another way to mitigate the impact is to quantify revenue and understand the profitability drivers. Uh, what what's causing the company to produce re- revenue and grow, and and what revenue uh, streams are are most profitable. And so, understand fixed costs and overhead, and focus on the areas in which we're most profitable. I mentioned earlier the the capitalization method or a discounting method. And so, in a, in a capitalization method, we need to be able to quantify. You know, what, what are the COVID years. Uh, and why, and, and being able to quantify that and understanding revenue is a big part of that. And then from the, the discounted cash flow method, we need to be able to support projections. So one of the ways in which we can mitigate the risk is being able to understand where our company is going the best we can, business owners wise.
0: What credentials should a person be looking for when they are choosing a business valuator to help them?
1: The three primary credentials would be CBA, so Certified Valuation Analyst. Uh, which is what I am, an ABV, which is accredited in, in business valuation. There's also ASA, accredited senior appraiser for some other, I think, equitable distribution related cases or engagements may come up. Uh, I think CPA is important. Someone that understands business and someone, someone that understands accounting can speak the language and understand uh, understand the financials. It is uh, It can be helpful. Also, CFF, certified in financial forensics or M-A-F-F, Master Analyst and Financial Forensics. That's probably a, a whole other podcast.
0: Absolutely. In your experience, how much does a business valuation typically cost?
1: I don't know if we talked about it. I don't think we did, but there, there are two types of valuations that uh, that are available under the standards. One is a conclusion of value. And a conclusion of value requires the appraiser to look at all three approaches that we mentioned, the asset approach, the income approach, and the market approach. It's typically more involved and and the result of that uh, engagement evaluator, uh, I'm going to say our our conclusion of value is X, and so it carries more weight, if you will, than a calculation of value. Calculation of value. Uh, under the standards we can in discussions with management or or the attorney decide which approach we want to we want to look at and so maybe it's uh it, it's it's an income approach but the the results of, of that engagement is going to be the the results of our calculations of value or or x and so if, if something were going to trial, we would we would most certainly need a conclusion of value. Because Jamie, if you were on the on the other side and you said, uh, Mr. what's your conclusion of value? And I said, Well, I don't have a conclusion. Uh, you, you might tear me to shreds. And uh, so, uh, so sometimes calculations of value can be used for for mediation or or internal purposes uh, at some point in the litigation process. But a conclusion of value we need it later. Conclusion of values typically range from fifteen to eighteen thousand. And a calculation of value from seven to 10.
0: And I believe you and I discussed another type of, not really a report that you could do, but what is, isn't there an oral opinion of value? Right. What is that?
1: So the standards allow us to give an oral report or a or a written report. And the, depending on the context and, and the users of the report and of the valuation, you may or may not need a written report. Sometimes there are things that can be put in an evaluation report that that are fodder for counsel to to uh, push back on and to and potentially impugn the credibility of the report or or the result and so the evaluator along with the attorney need to be need to be careful and and uh thinking about that Uh, one alternative to a written report is an oral report and uh in an oral report uh the evaluator uh typically uh will uh, do everything that they would normally do in a written report, the The development standards uh, are the same. Uh, so they got to do all the work they would normally do. But in lieu of writing report that may be anywhere from 30, 50 to 120 pages, they will give valuation schedules to the users. to So to you, Jamie, and and potentially the, the spouses, uh, the schedules. And those schedules will include the historical financial statements, analysis, ratio analysis, trend analysis, and, and all the, all the work financially and schedules that go from beginning to end. So from the historical information adjustments, normalization adjustments to the final value of the company, you know, if you're going to mediation and you're not going to exchange reports, it, it can be a good tool. Uh, I think it's a it's a facts and circumstances, and I would never want you, the attorney, I would never want to advise you, the attorney, or, or any, any of your clients, any people listening, you know, to do a or report when when a written report was needed. And so, but I think there are options, there are tools in the in the toolbox, if you will.
0: You know, it could be a way to save your clients some money if oh. you're just trying to get a case settled. There's no litigation, but you need some sort of idea of what the business is worth. I mean, it might be a less expensive option.
1: I think so. I, I enjoy what I do. And uh, I, I look at uh, what I do is help cross the divide, if you will. There is a divide and the objective is to get across it. It's not my job or any other evaluator's job to, to push a conclusion of value or a written report or a more expensive option when, when something less is there. You know, sometimes we'll do a calculation for mediation purposes and then it you know it doesn't settle mediation. It goes to trial and then we'll, we'll go do a conclusion of value. And in that case, we'll have to go back and do some more work. Um, but it's not a, it's not the calculation on top of the, of the conclusion, but, but I do want to present options to to you, the attorney or into the spouse and to the spouses, uh, see what's the best way to, to try to get this thing settled.
0: So this is a very basic question, but mm-hmm. given the cost associated with a business valuation, I'm sure folks are wondering, how do you know if you really need a business valuation?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I have a a simple tool or a simple guide that this that essentially acts uh, like a, a flow chart, if you will, just to ask questions. Do I have a business? Do I do I own a business? And then going from there, you know, is there? I talked about earlier the asset approach. Uh, a lot of times is, is a floor value, and so the assets minus the liabilities it, it may only be worth hundred thousand dollars, but because that's just a tangible that's just a tangible value right there are intangibles such as goodwill or customer lists name recognition and assembled workforce and other things that are intangible value that you may only see through the through the income approach and so you know do you do you, if you take your assets minus your liabilities and and is there a positive result well if that's the case then there's probably value if there's not uh then there's some questions on the flow chart just to, to say, well, why is that? Is that because your business is early on in its life cycle? Uh, is it because there's there hasn't been capital? Uh, and if you have capital, uh, you can produce a profit? Or, or if there are, you know, sometimes with small businesses, people pay, uh, the owners pay themselves salaries that may be higher than or more or exceed reasonable compensation. And so if we adjust those out to a, to a reasonable amount, is there? is a potential income there? And so uh, it can be a tool, a general tool um, to at least get you in a direction of knowing, hey, do, do I need one or not?
0: If any of our listeners are interested in seeing a copy of that flowchart, is that something that you could share?
1: Uh, absolutely. I can share it with you as soon as we get off the podcast.
0: All right. That's great. Do you have any tips for people headed for divorce in situations where a business interest is going to be involved?
1: Yes, and uh and for all that are listening, Jamie didn't ask me to say this but uh but but talk to an attorney that has an experience dealing with BV and ED uh, with business valuation and equitable distribution context. I, I've seen when I've been in the courtroom and observed uh, evaluators and business valuation folks that are testifying uh, an, an opposing expert and and their attorney wasn't that knowledgeable on business valuation. Uh, and some of the some of the questions they asked or didn't ask, or some of the objections that they didn't make, uh, you know, put the put the expert and ultimately the the value of the company and the settlement at risk. And so, as as a as a I want to work with folks that that have experience dealing with this. And uh, I can tell you that uh, if if anybody's going through a divorce, um, it, it's good to talk to an attorney that has experience dealing with with business valuation. I think the other thing I would mention is is get your information together. Uh, the soundness of the accounting function uh, and and most or all the time that you spend working towards this is uh, is, is valuable. And so uh, have a good CPA. The time that you invest in this, it, it'll help the valuation. It'll help the valuation expert deliver a credible report and at the end of the day, uh, better information going in will produce uh, a better result um, and it uh, and hopefully a settlement in the case and and potentially reduce the cost of the valuation and the litigation.
0: That's a great point. I mean with all the time effort, don't forget money that's going into this report, you want it to be credible. And so you want those underlying financials that are being used for the report to be credible and to be good.
1: Yeah absolutely.
0: Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. If any of our listeners would like to contact you, what is the best way for them to reach you?
1: Probably email. Email address is uh, D-A-M-I-S-S, so first name, first initial and last name, uh, D-A-M-I-S-S at C-R-I-C-P-A dot com.
0: I hope you all enjoyed this episode of A Year and a Day. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at jdavis at As a reminder, while in my role as a lawyer, my job is to give folks legal advice. The purpose of this podcast is not to do that. This podcast is for general informational purposes only, should not be used as legal advice, and is specific to the law in North Carolina. If you have any questions before you take any action, you should consult with a lawyer who's licensed in your state.